I stared at the tree which had no leaves. Silhouetted against a clear blue sky, it appeared almost black. Only the tiniest hint of white vapour showed betraying the bitter cold that hung in the air. Some plants still bore green leaves, but I did not know the names of them. My grandfather probably would have. Maybe my parents too. One such plant scaled the wall showing a resilient green fur coat, despite it being a cold day in January. In all my years I still found myself unable to understand the routines of the year. And how could I when the seasons never did as I expected? Looking outside through this window, the sky appeared as a summer's day. I could hear the call of birds, one throaty and one higher pitched and more melodic. I could not tell you what sound belonged to which bird, though I imagine my grandfather could have. It was one of those rare quiet moments where we found ourselves alone. I stared out of the window whilst my wife sipped her tea. I couldn't remember the last time I had just sat and stared at the sky like this. It looked so blue. I felt like a cat perched on the windowsill, whiskers twitching as I soaked up the light through the glass. I was meant to tell you, she began from nowhere. One of those huge sea eagles was spotted down in the new forest. I didn't have the energy to move more than a few facial muscles in response. I was too absorbed in the blue sky and the sunlight that illuminated all the details of the garden. They're huge, so big they can carry off sheep, things like that. I raised my eyebrows as I considered this. I pictured an eagle carrying a big stuffy sheep in a crystal blue sky. The sheep continued to chew contentedly, enjoying the breeze. It was introduced to Scotland in the 70s. Here, look. She held her phone out in front of me. It depicted a recent sighting in the form of a news article. Right at the top, there was a blurry picture of the bird in flight. Because there was nothing else in the picture, it just looked like any other bird of prey, as there was nothing to compare it against, nothing to give the creature any real scale. It says here it's called a white-tailed eagle, I stated, not much caring either way. Yeah, but it's a sea eagle, she replied impatiently. I nodded and tried to make a mental note of the things she had told me, in case it might come up in conversation at work, or if I might myself wanted to start a conversation if things became too quiet. I thought yesterday went well with your parents, she said, changing the subject. I recalled lunch from the day before. My mother had complimented my wife on her cooking, and my wife had acted modestly. Although not always having much to say to one another, there was always a harmonious balance in their company. Never uncomfortable. Not for me, at least. I put this down to the fact that both were women without agendas. They were both genuinely good people who only wanted good things for those around them. Both valued the importance of family and spending regular time with them. Yes, I said. They both definitely liked your cheesecake. She smiled in a pleased sort of a way and sipped at her tea. I continued to stare out of the window into that frigid blue expanse. The next day it snowed, covering the garden, the leafless tree and even the green wall climber in a thick white blanket. My wife surprised me by taking me out for Italian. 
There was no particular occasion, she just liked to go out and try new places. The music was slow and from another time. The wine was Italian, as you'd expect. Once we'd finished our meal, we retired to some comfortable-looking armchairs in front of a well-lit fire. There we drank our wine, sitting in silence for the first time that evening, when, out of the blue, my wife asked me to tell her a story. I glanced at her to make sure I'd heard right. Tell me something I don't know about you. She watched me expectantly. Of course, for husband and wife, there isn't a whole lot that passes without the other without the other knowing, and what's left on the cutting room floor probably isn't worth saying aloud. I sifted through memories looking for a story and found myself thinking of the family on my father's side, a family I didn't keep in contact with and my wife would barely know a thing about. Okay, I said, I have a story. Nodding and smiling, unsure if she would find it interesting or not, but pleased I'd come up with something better than some glib fact that would take no time to tell. Of my father's eleven siblings, two were not born to my grandfather. These were not, as you might suspect, the eldest children from a previous relationship, or even the youngest from a new relationship. These were, in fact, the middle of the litter. Is it wrong to say litter? It feels wrong to refer to family like that, even if I don't know them. Perhaps it only feels bad because I don't know them. If I did know them, either I'd be comfortable enough around them to refer to them as a pack of animals, or I'd hate them enough to refer to them as a pack of dogs. Litter seems as good a word as any to describe a collection of children as many as twelve. Anyway, these particular siblings of my father were born in the middle of the group, when there should have been none. These children eventually emigrated to Canada, carrying my grandmother's genes, but not my grandfather's, and all because of a shirt. I guess that's not entirely accurate. It was down to a combination of a shirt and the backdrop of the Second World War. My grandfather, John Edward, first registered on the 12th of December 1939. He attended a medical in January, then received his call-up papers the following month. He travelled alone by train from Hampshire all the way up to Stirling, where he was asked to report to Stirling Castle, headquarters to the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. Although my grandfather had not an ounce of Scot in him, he had been assigned to a Scottish regiment, with a long and illustrious history, including several notable feats of valour dating back to the regiment's formation in 1881. As I understand it, the assigning of a regiment was no longer a process of where you come from due to lessons learned during the First World War. If, for example, a regiment were made up entirely of soldiers from your hometown and that whole regiment were wiped out, that would mean the majority of the male population of your town were gone and never coming back. At least, that is how it was explained to me as to why my grandfather had bagpipes at his funeral. And that is also why he wore a traditional Scottish cap, similar to a beret but larger, with a small pom-pom on top, along with his formal dress. Along with the headdress, he was of course issued with a uniform consisting of a tunic and trousers. In those days, and as it still is today, you put your name on everything you don't want stolen, 
and my grandfather's uniform was no exception. And here we get to the part about the shirt. On the way to France, my grandfather swapped his ill-fitting tunic with another man. That poor, unfortunate man, like so many others from the war, will remain nameless. In this story, at least, as his part comes to an end somewhere in Europe. Being identified as my grandfather by the name scribbled in the back of his tunic, the news reached my grandmother that Private John Edward of the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders, her husband and my father's father, was dead. During the time of his supposed death, my grandmother remarried a Canadian soldier and they had two children together. Of course, these are the children that would later become the middle of the litter. Now, as I have said, this was how it was explained to me. But with the acquiring of time and with it a questioning nature, I have to wonder at just how long my grandfather was unable to communicate with his family back home. It seems he was unable to get a message, to get any kind of message home, for as long as it took my grandmother to grieve, find comfort in the arms of another, remarry and give birth to two children. All before my grandfather could alert her to the gross error that had been made in the premature announcement of his death. Well, clearly I have only ever had the tip of the iceberg. Nothing but a few details spanning years of their lives and great gaps that span out even further like some huge gaping void that is now too late to fill. Whilst my grandmother was busy raising children, grieving over their father and finding love anew in a strange world that seemed to be changing all around them, my grandfather was sent to the Greek island of Crete, the battle of which remains notorious for the first ever large-scale airborne deployment of German paratroopers. Renowned for their effectiveness and grim determination, they soon became known to Allied forces as the Green Devils. The German Parachute Regiment had taken the island in just three days. My grandfather, forced into hiding, found shelter in a cave along the coast, where locals would bring him, and other soldiers like him, food and water each day. This story was corroborated by three sources. First, was his surviving comrades who regaled the story at his funeral. Second, a newspaper article shown to my father by his eldest brother, describing how they had avoided capture and relied on the help of Greek locals. Lastly, an internet search which proved fruitful when his name, rank, regiment and number came up on a list of personnel that were evacuated on the 28th of July, 1941. Two days prior, submarine HMS Thrasher had surfaced off the coast, south coast not far from Limney Bay. From the hillside a light was spotted, signalling this message, SOS, please send help. The message was repeated throughout the night. At 5am on the 28th, the submarine began embarking the escapees just 75 yards from the beach at Limney Bay. My grandfather was listed as one of 78 Allied troops rescued by HMS Thrasher. Upon my grandfather's return, the rest of the litter were conceived, and the rest is, of course, as they say, history. My wife seemed satisfied with the story, and asked me what I remembered of my grandparents, and whether I'd been to Crete. 
I remember paying my grandfather a visit when I was very small. When we arrived, he was preparing a meal and boiling green beans he had grown himself. I don't know why I never failed to remember specifically that it was green beans. Perhaps it was the way they had looked bubbling away in the pan. Or maybe it was how different they looked to shop-bought beans, so thick and oddly shaped. His garden was more like an allotment than it was a quiet place to sit. More a place of toil than of relaxation. A blackberry bush ran the length of it, and I remember thinking to myself that it must have been a lot of work to keep it under control. I mean, you always saw wild blackberry bushes springing up all over the place, and they seemed mostly unkempt. Patches of neatly turned earth were dotted about, here and there with saplings tied to sticks that stuck out from the soil, pointing straight up into the sky. A greenhouse stood just off from the path that adjoined the blackberry bush. The view inside was obscured by all of the greenery housed within. He was an old man then, and although he moved around carefully, he seldom seemed to struggle with life on his own. My grandmother had passed away a few years prior, and my recollection of her was more an outline of a person, the shape of her face, the shape of her hair, a picture I once saw of her looking young, a Christmas present I once received. These are the things I remember about her. The present had been a watch with a green leather strap and a white face with a turtle in the background. Even when I was too old to wear the watch, it continued to keep time in the bottom of a drawer. How did I know? Because every now and then, when I'd be searching for something in that drawer, I would find the watch and hear the second hand ticking away diligently, as though my grandmother's soul resided there, watching over me from that dusty old drawer. I believe my grandfather passed away seven years after my grandmother, but as this is the same amount of time I associate with the watch still ticking, I cannot be absolutely sure that my memory is not playing tricks on me. However, it wasn't until after he died that certain details about his time during the war began to surface. Like so many of that generation, he was not one to talk about his experiences, not even to my father who knew very little of his time on the island of Crete. It was only after his death that a picture began to form of the quiet old man who grew vegetables in his garden. I had been to Crete once on a family holiday. It was a long time ago and I really don't remember that much about it. Had I known about my grandfather back then, perhaps I would have taken more of an interest in my surroundings, but, as most teenagers of my generation, I was probably too wrapped up in my own small part of the world to comprehend what it meant to live through a war. Still, if I'd been a more conscientious teen, aware of my grandfather's struggles, perhaps I would have tried to locate the cave where he had spent so many hours hiding from German soldiers. Perhaps I would have memorised the layout of the island and tried my best to picture a fleet of 500 JU-52s swarming overhead, the roar of their engines, the long trail of black dots behind them as far back as the eye could see. I distinctly remember sunbathing and being mesmerised by a group of ten or more paragliders in the sky above me. They bobbed and lulled, drawing lazy circles in the air as they turned at seemingly random intervals. They looked like jellyfish bobbing around in the sea, as the material of the gliders contracted and expanded, 
and it amazed me how they never came in contact with one another. I looked down at my feet pointing up toward the sky, just like those sticks in my grandfather's garden. Ahead of me were the sights and sounds of the ocean as waves lapped gently on the shore and the water's surface shimmered all the way to the horizon. When my gaze finally returned to the paragliders, they had reorganised themselves and now cut a perfect diagonal line pointing toward the sea. The glider at the very bottom seemed close enough now to be able to swoop down and penetrate the water's cool surface with an outstretched palm and collect just a few droplets like picking only a handful of stars from the sky and trying to recreate the night. A handful of memories to suffice for entire lives lived and lost to time. Thank you for listening to this story, which is uh, mostly true as far as I'm aware. A story that's left me with as many questions that will always go unanswered about the uh, the small details and and the lives of, uh, of my grandparents and hopefully uh, you find it kind of relatable uh, to your own nostalgia and memories of, of parents and grandparents. Uh, if you're tired of waiting for me to uh, release new episodes, I've got two short story collections previously unreleased on the podcast uh, available on Amazon. Uh, called Reflections and uh, all, the, all the Tomorrows. So if you search John Abel and either of those titles, you should be able to find it. It's set at the lowest price point currently. Um, but again, they're just two short story collections, so kind of similar to the, the episodes here. Um, but uh, I hope to start releasing episodes a little bit more frequently than I have been, so I do apologise. Uh, if you want to get in contact or leave me some feedback uh, or just email me for a chat, I'd greatly appreciate it. I'd love to hear from people um, and obviously what you think so far. The email address is johnablewriter at gmail.com. So uh, please do feel free to come and have a chat with me about anything or books you're reading or anything you'd like to recommend. Um, and as I say, I will try to release a few more episodes a little bit more frequently. Um, and I'd like to read a few short stories by other authors or, or real authors um, as well, uh, providing, you know, copyright infringement and I don't get arrested for it. Uh, but there seems to be loads on YouTube and podcasts where they're reading out other author stories um, and, and authors that are still alive. So clearly it's not in the public domain. Uh, a lot of these things so uh but yeah i'd love to um love to read a few stories that have sort of influenced me so i will look to do that and hopefully there won't be another six months before the next episode but feel free to email me if you get sick of waiting and uh, give me a prompt but i hope everyone is doing well and uh, i will speak to you soon